Hello, Rebecca Langley here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week, Annie interviewed Dario Mojcik, the Assistant Branch Secretary of the National Union of Workers, about workers' downing tools at IGA Metcash in Laverton in their struggle to keep their conditions in their new EBA. Then we'll hear an interview with Chris Spindler from the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union about the uncertainty facing workers at the Alstom Rail Manufacturing Plant in Ballarat in regional Victoria. But first, some union news. Wage theft has become front-page news in recent weeks after it was revealed that George Columbaris has underpaid workers by nearly $8 million. This revelation has seemed to open up a can of worms as more and more stories of wage theft emerge. The union movement has been talking about this for a long time and workers have continually fought for their rights and their pay under poor industrial regulations. Following up on a youth survey released in April, this week Unions ACT launched its Young Workers Centre. Doors officially opened on Wednesday, July 31st to provide free confidential information and support to young workers aged under 25 years. Unions ACT used the launch to call for new laws to make it simpler and faster for workers to recover stolen wages. Young workers in Canberra are facing a wage theft crisis. Unions ACT research has found that the prevalence of wage theft has increased dramatically in recent times, with more than half of young workers reporting their wages were stolen in the last 12 months, up from 44% last year. The Young Worker Centre and its advice service is filling a much-needed gap in providing free information to young workers from their very first job, including through colleges, TAFE and universities. It will also run programs to equip them with the skills and knowledge they need to enforce their own workplace rights. It follows the highly successful Victorian and South Australian Young Workers Centres. For more information, visit www.youngworkerscbr.org.au forward slash advice. When the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games closed in April 2018, Harsh Patel had only been paid for four of the ten shifts he'd worked as a security officer for one of the event's subcontractors, Trojan Security. Harsh made several approaches to his employer over a period of several months to have the wages paid, but to no avail. Because he was part of a strong union, United Voice, he was able to seek assistance and secured $2,701.95 in unpaid wages and allowances last month. Meanwhile, a Fair Work Commission audit of the game's security providers and subcontractors found none were compliant with workplace laws and had left many employees hired for the event out of pocket. Employers are obliged by law to pay employees everything they're owed on time. It pays to be vigilant about a correct record of your hours and entitlements appearing on your payslip. And if it shows you've been underpaid, union representation can be the most effective way to recover what you're owed. This week, leaders and activists at the Rail, Tram and Bus Union have started a campaign to keep public transport in South Australia in public hands. 
The state government is looking for offers from the private sector to take over operation of the passenger rail and tram network in Adelaide. RTBU South Australian Branch Secretary Darren Phillips said South Australia's rail and tram services belong to the people, no one else. The only reason a private company would want to run a train or tram service is to make money out of it at the expense of both taxpayers and travellers. In Victoria, the private operators of the train and tram networks drained $350 million in profits from the state's public transport system in just seven years. Mass transit services should be run by the people for the people, not for the profits of overseas companies and their shareholders. John Mark Monica, chair of ITF Urban Transport Steering Committee, said, We are in a climate emergency. Governments need to expand and improve public transport and create millions of new and decent jobs. We must stop the flogging off of our public transport and services to private companies. You can follow updates from the campaign on social media by searching hashtag our public transport. Also in transport news, following the endorsement of delegates, the RTBU has notified Metro Trains Melbourne of industrial action scheduled to take place starting from next week. As of Monday 12th of August, RTBU members will be participating in industrial action in a bid to secure a new enterprise agreement. The following actions are billed to take place. Station staff will keep ticket barriers open all day on Monday 12th and 19th of August. Authorised officers will refuse to check Mikey cards while booking office staff will refuse to sell and upload Mikey cards all day on Monday 12th and 19th of August. Train drivers will refuse to comply with directions to alter services that are not scheduled on the train timetable from Monday 12th August to Sunday 18th of August. This is in effect a ban on station skipping and diversions around the city loop, as well as short shunting of trains that often cause distress to passengers while helping Metro meet performance targets. Train drivers will also refuse to operate trains that do not have passenger emergency intercoms that are not fully operational, and a refusal to update Metro management of any non-safety critical information while in service between Monday 12th August and Sunday 18th of August. A refusal to participate in any training for the high-capacity Metro trains from Monday 12th August to Sunday 18th of August. An indefinite ban on wearing uniforms commencing Monday 12th of August for all commuter-facing employees. This industrial action is aimed at Metro's hip pocket, not the travelling public, said RTBU Victorian Branch Secretary Luba Grigorovic. The RTBU is seeking to keep the public well informed of any impacts ahead of any industrial action. However, these action items are designed to target Metro and will not impact commuters' ability to catch the train. The industrial action has required workers to jump through many legislative hoops and was endorsed last Monday by a democratic ballot of all members covered by the agreement. Given the ballot returned a yes vote of 99%, it is clear RTBU members are angry at Metro's approach to negotiations and quite reasonably want the security of a new agreement with fair working conditions, said Ms Grigorovich of the ballot conducted by the Australian Electoral Commission last Monday. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week 
on the Community Radio Network. Now let's hear Annie's interview with Dario Moikic, the Assistant Secretary of the NUW Victoria branch. Can you give us some background to uh, what's going on out there? Because it's EBA, isn't it? And uh, the workers have decided to down tools because of the offer that they've been given. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So we we started negotiating a replacement uh, collective agreement with the company uh, a few months ago now, around March this year. So the agreement, the existing agreement, expires in, in or expired in May, um, and really our members. At IGA, didn't have a lot of us. They're on pretty good wages. They have good conditions. Um, and that's because they've been in the union a very long time. And so all we really asked for was a few other bits and pieces. But fundamentally, it was a fair wage increase, no conditions lost, so no going backwards, no trading off conditions for a wage increase and for more permanent jobs. And so we've been able to move the company to a reasonable wage proposal that um, our members are happy with. We've also been able to get the company to confirm some more permanent jobs, but the management are asking for the guys to give up one one condition in a way to fund the, the wage increase or, or a portion of it. And the members have been pretty solid in saying, no, we didn't say we're prepared to trade off conditions for a wage increase. We just want a fair wage increase, but no loss of conditions. Um, and that's really the stalemate, and that's what led to the membership endorsing last week take some industrial action and on Monday when they were when they were at the front um, when they did down tools um, they did endorse more industrial action this coming Monday as well. Now when you say a fair increase what you're saying is that it keeps up with uh, CPI? Yeah basically so as I said these, these members are not asking for a lot so where we've landed is a 2.5% wage increase and really uh, before tax that's about 30 bucks a week uh, extra for most of these guys. That's not a lot of money uh, in addition to what they normally get paid, but it's meaningful. As I said, that people are on, on good conditions here. $30 extra each week before tax is, is meaningful. It's not a whole lot, but it's something, and the members are happy with that. It's, it's about the try. It's about making sure your wage is maintained over time. So if it doesn't go up, effectively that's a wage cut because everything else is going up. So 2.5% really all it does is keeps the value of, of these wages at about the same level over time. And, and, and that's okay, people are happy with that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's really at issue here is this business about uh, an employer deciding that uh, they could uh, barter off this very ordinary increase in wages by uh, getting rid of conditions. This is uh, a, a problem, isn't it, on a much Please. bigger le- level than this workplace? <laughs> It is. It's something that happens in many places, and it's, you know, we call it concession bargaining. Oh, we'll give you a wage increase, but you need to give us this in return. I mean, the reality is you're just funding your own wage increase then. You're not actually moving forward. You're not improving conditions and improving wages over time. You're just transferring one entitlement uh, for another. And that's not, that's not good for working people um, because you're not getting an actual increase in your wages and conditions over time. So we want to put a stop to concession bargaining, um, and, you know, the, our union strong um, in, in putting that position forward where we can and, and where members support it. Um, and these members have certainly said, we don't want to trade away conditions for a wage increase. They've done it in the past because they've, they've been forced into that position and they feel like they've had to. Um, they're not the only ones, but they've said, no, enough's enough. We don't want to keep trading away conditions just for a wage increase. Um, and like you said, a lot of companies, that's their opening 
that's their opening position and sometimes their only position. We'll give you a wage increase, you need to fund it. Well, that's not how it should work. Yeah, it's fundamental, that discussion between the boss class and the working class, isn't it? That uh, somehow or other the boss class thinks that they're doing everybody a favour. That's, that, yeah, that's right. And look, it's, it's actually, you know, when I go around and I negotiate agreements on behalf of our members, it's not unusual uh, for a member of the union to go, oh, well, well, what do we have to give up this time? You know, people have learned to accept that concession bargaining is the way you negotiate, and it shouldn't be the way you negotiate. And so it's about actually teaching our members that, no, 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 when we negotiate, it's about improving our conditions. It's not about trading away condition A for a wage increase or trading away condition A for a different different condition. It's about improving our conditions over time, particularly where a company is profitable and going well. I appreciate that in some workplaces, um, in some sectors, that's not necessarily going to work. If the business is not making any money, okay, maybe this time we need to um, be careful about what we negotiate. But the reality is, particularly in logistics, uh, particularly in the retail supermarket world. Um, there is a lot of money out there, uh, and that money should flow to workers. Can you tell me what the particular condition is that they want the workers to trade off? Yeah, what it is, is, is in effect, in industrial speak, it's to um, extend the span of hours. So what that means is that to make the, the amount of the time during the day that people can work to be asked to work and not receive a penalty for that to be extended. So... At the moment, that span of hours starts at 6am, which is already earlier than it would under the minimum conditions in the award. So it's already an early start from a span of hours perspective, and the employer is saying we want that to extend to 5am, which is quite early in the morning. So that would mean that people can start at 5am in the morning and not receive a penalty um, on top of their ordinary hours. So they have to get up at least at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, The other thing is, too, that they really literally aren't getting an increase at all. No, that's right. So, you know, yeah, and, and the company needs some of the work done at five. So the, the practical effect of this would be the people that have been coming in early and, and doing some extra work before their normal start time, they'll be required to start earlier. They won't receive a penalty, which would then fund the wage increase. That's, that's the idea from, from the company's perspective. Well, there you go. All right, so people are um, continuing with the negotiations. And uh, have you had any word from the employer? Uh, look, we've been we've been speaking to the company, um, you know, every day or every second day. But the conversations are brief. Um, at the end of the day, there's not much to talk about anymore. Like a lot of the a lot of the negotiations have been completed. There's not a lot of detail left. It's really a case of will um, uh, will the company is the company prepared to accept this principle of we're not going to uh, trade away conditions for a wage increase or not. So there's not a, there's not a lot more that can be said. Um, but we are talking, so there's a line of communication open, which is important. And actually, what's at issue is workers understanding that the concession bargaining is not in their best interest, generally speaking. That's right, and, and these members get that, and I'm really, really proud of them. Uh, it's really important. So not only do, I, do they understand that, but they've taken a stand and they've said, um, and for the overwhelming majority of them, this is the first time they've taken any kind of strike action in their life. Um, so it's a really important moment for them. And so they've said, we're going to take a stand for this. And if the company does not agree to a reasonable wage increase without loss of conditions, we're prepared to fight for what we believe in. That's been been a really good exercise. Thanks very much, Daria. No worries, Annie. Pleasure. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and social justice issues on your local community radio station. We've just heard from Dario Mojkic about EBA negotiations at IGA Metcash and how workers are standing up for their rights. Next, we're going to hear from Chris Spindler about the uncertain situation of workers at the Alstom Rail Workshop in Ballarat. I'm 
and organiser with the AMWU, based in Melbourne, looking after the rail and tram. Yeah, there's some action going on in Ballarat at the moment around a company called Alstom. Could you tell us a bit about the company and, and what they do in Ballarat? Sure. Alstom's a, uh, a train manufacturer, French-owned company, um, and has been in Australia since around the year 2000. And they bought the Ballarat Railway Workshop. They left for some time and leased that property to UGL, who also works in the rail industry. But then Austin returned in 2012 and took up the railway workshops and built the X-Trap train, which is currently the majority train on the network at the moment. And how many people do they employ in Ballarat? Uh, they employ 70 directly on the shop floor and, uh, of course, engineers administration as well. Um, and spinning off that, enough, you know, in the hundreds um, who would supply parts and services to the company. Yeah, and they're all in the Ballarat region? or Yeah, that's right. Yeah, A little bit broader than that, but yeah, principally in that area. So what's the issue now? Are they threatening to pull out of Ballarat? Um, well, they are threatening to pull out um, of Ballarat on the basis that the state government hasn't offered them uh, a new contract to build the next set of trains um, based on that design for the X-Trap 2. So at the moment they have work that would carry them through to June of next year, but uh, they are waiting and the deadline is approaching in terms of if they don't get another contract, then they will start to wind up that base in Ballarat. Yeah, and if they wind up, there's no guarantee that another company will come in and make trains? Well, this is part of why we are wondering why the state government is delaying this decision because really there is no other option. The Cominge fleet, which currently has a number of trains on the system, is growing increasingly old and it takes an, an amazing amount of money to maintain and service that ageing fleet. So the obvious point is to... Uh, go ahead and build this new set of trains to replace that Cominge fleet. And Alstom is the obvious company to do that. It's an advanced model on the ones that are working now. Um, the design work has all been done. You've got a skilled workforce ready to put it together. And the company has said it, this will the workforce would have to increase to cater for the increase in production and they'd have to invest extra money in the workshop in Ballarat. So all of those things mean that it's basically, to us, it's a fairly obvious decision for the state government to do, to, to order the next set of 20 trains. Now, if they did that, that would see security for this site for up to at least 2023 um, in that Ballarat region. Yeah, and they are always talking about supporting regional industry and um, jobs and communities, but, yeah, it's uh, time to actually commit to something, hey? Well, that's exactly, that is exactly right. Whichever government is in power, they also say, always say they're with the regional areas and wanting to uh, develop those areas and provide jobs and services in those areas. Well, this is a very concrete place where you can have like a good news story uh, for the state government and say, well, this is time now to um, to support the public transport industry and get these, um, as well as the jobs 
Randolph and basically get this work done. Yeah, correct. And there are multiple unions involved in pushing for this commitment to be made. Could you tell us more about that and, and why it's important for the different unions to work together? Yeah, well, the, the three unions involved on the site, there's um, ourselves, the AMWU, the Electrical Trades Union, and the RTBU, all of whom have a number of members on that site, and we do. We actually do work together, particularly around this, because this is not a single union issue, clearly. This is an issue in particular for that site and for the workers there and, of course, their families and and friends. But it also isn't just a single site issue. Uh, This is an issue for regional areas, for Ballarat in particular. Um, The Alston side of the Ballarat Railway Workshop are a central site to that region that town. People know it and have worked through it and have people that have worked there. And so for us, it's a bit of a contradiction, like you said, that the state government says that they're for regional development um, and that this workshop shouldn't close. Well, they need to make a decision and they need to make it quickly. Yeah. And is there much community support for the workers in Ballarat and in the region? Yeah, there has been, and um, particularly uh, organised through the Ballarat Trade Hall, which has been doing a great job in building support and the campaign. Yeah, and, I, um, they're really awesome. Let's give a shout-out to uh, Ballarat Trade Hall. 100%. They are, it is a magnificent building and a great organisation. Brett's doing a terrific job. So organised through there, um, there is plenty of support that is um, coming out. People are watching. There is no doubt that people are watching and the pressure is on the politicians to do it. So we've said that they they basically have one month to make this decision. Uh, if it's any longer than that, the company will have to start winding its processes down and letting people, and the workers now know that. That was announced the other day. So there is a very clear small space here for the, for the state government to make that decision. Yeah, and if that deadline isn't met, is there a plan for escalating the action? There is. We will be going public um, and basically doing some rallies and demonstrations in the streets of Ballarat. I'm sure the other unions will be coming on board that and hopefully we can also take our issue to the streets of Melbourne as well. So we, we do want messages of support to the Alstom workshop and uh, people can send those messages of support through the Ballarat Trades Hall. But also we need people to... Um, make demands, basically messages of demand to the state government to do the right thing here and support the, the regional community. Yeah, um, and so is, is there someone in particular, like a particular minister that people can write to that's in charge of making this decision? Well, really, uh, in discussions with, uh, with Minister Horn saying that um, is supporting this move. Um, so really the messages of demand... Um, to be heading towards the Treasurer and the Premier um, because this is not just a single Minister's decision, it's basically uh, a government, whole government decision. So that's where I would focus the attention. Yep. If people want to support us, that would be terrific. Support the workshop and get messages there. That would be great. And when, when we need to, well, if we need to go public um, in terms of our actions, then we'll certainly be letting people know and asking for support then. Has your local MP said anything about it? Or I don't know who the local state MP for um, the area is. Yeah, but... Ballarat is uh, Juliana Addison, and, and she's been down to the workshop a number of times and has 
um, written letters on our behalf and been encouraging the government to make the right call on this. So Great. Um, thanks to her. But, yeah, that's, we need every ounce of support we can get in terms of pushing the government to make this call. Awesome. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I think it's worth, worth noting that um, the company has tried to keep all of the skills together. When a similar situation a few years ago, they were waiting for a contract from the state government and they actually paid their workers for a few months to, you know, paint fences and mow the lawns and do some community work um, with the aim of trying to keep this, this skilled group of workers together. So we're at the same point now and we really need... I think the state government uh, to recognise short-term contracts don't really work. You need to look at the long term, um, give a bit of solidarity. It's not about necessarily supporting a particular company, but supporting the skills in the regional area and the workers there in terms yeah. of their livelihood. And that's what we want to see. We want to see um, the current workforce plus a range of apprentices and new workers coming together to, to really build the skills uh, in this area. In this industry. Yeah, that's interesting because it seems as if uh, they're kind of talking big and uh, and you know committing to long term projects like in Melbourne. But yeah, when it comes to regional areas, maybe not so much. Yeah, well, uh, again, I come back to a starting point. I, I don't understand what the holdup is. To be totally honest, I, I can't see another op- option. It's a more expensive option to keep the old fleet maintained. Um, there isn't another, you know, uh, workshop that's set up such as this one ready to ready to fire. So, yeah, all we're doing is putting, all the government is doing is putting extra stress and strain on the families there because if the decision goes sour, then what do the 70 families do? Well, they'll have to either move or disperse or look for jobs that are perhaps not under a good enterprise agreement like this one uh, or a union, non-union site, we want to maintain that in in the area because it's um, it does maintain a standard that we want to keep yeah. in terms of enterprise agreements, wages, conditions of work. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. Right. Um, we'll talk good again you, soon. Thank you so much. All right. For the time. Bye. Good on you. Bye. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Dario Moikic, Chris Spindler and Annie McLaughlin. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Langley. Catch you next time.